have your Bibles and turn them with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. My name is Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. I'm delighted that you've taken the time to worship with us today uh, on our first Sunday of 2024. So, anybody excited about the new year? All right, there's like five of us. Good. All right. Um, thankful for our worship team leading us this morning. It's a time of prayer time to gather together. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We've got just a few more weeks left of our series through Ecclesiastes. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start into a new series on the Gospel of Mark, and looking forward to walking through that gospel together. But today, we're in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6, and I'm going to be uh, not only unpacking this scripture, but thinking a little bit about uh, our vision for our year as a church, where we're going, what's some of the big picture things that we want to see happen, and I think it'll fit in really well with, with what we're reading here today. Hopefully you're there, verse, chapter 11, verse 1, scriptures read, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and that evening with not, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's rich with instruction and wisdom. And today, as we bring our lives underneath your instruction through it, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to the urgency, to the action that you call us to. Lord, that you would free us from the need for security and guarantees in the things we do and lead us into a life of faith and trust in you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I had this uh, plaque on my dresser growing up uh, for uh, many years that had a picture of Michael Jordan shooting a shot. That said, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? And I think it was a gift from my brother uh, for Christmas, if I remember right, which is kind of a weird Christmas gift, you know, to give your brother. I guess he thought I was passive and afraid. But, you know, maybe I was. And in many ways, one of the biggest challenges in life is getting over the fear of failure. Michael Jordan was a massive failure in shooting. He missed over half the shots that he took in basketball. But he's also known to be the best basketball player that is at, well, you know, I think he's the GOAT. If you have that, if you want to argue LeBron or anybody else, you probably didn't get to watch Jordan play. But that plaque stuck in my mind because it was a challenge to me to take action, to recognize there are very few things that you'll ever succeed at in life if you don't actually risk. Well, taken as a whole, the passage here today that we're looking at is a motivation 
to take action for good gain while leaving the ultimate results to God. You, you may have been looking at these uh, sort of Proverbs, wondering what it was all about. But the main theme of the passage we're going to see today may not seem so obvious when you read the first verse of chapter 11. Because it's sort of an archaic old saying that says, cast your bread on the water. And the only thing we can imagine throwing bread on the water is soggy bread. And we're not sure we want it to return to us. But it says, cast your bread on the water, and it may kind of hide what's there. But let me overview the different pieces in this passage. In verses 1 and 2, actually, we see these two proverbs that are intended to do, induce action. Cast, give. Then in verse 3 is a proverb about facing the circumstances in life that we can't change. Then the proverb in verse 4 warns us against the inaction that can come with overthinking, overanalyzing things. The argument is advanced in verse 5 by reminding us that God is the only one who really knows the future and what it, what it will hold and how things really work. In verse 6 brings it home telling us that a harvest requires actually getting the seed in the ground and we can overthink it and just end up never doing the work. You see there are a bunch of like separate proverbs and pieces but together they give this cohesive idea that we are that, that wisdom tells us to take action for good gain while leaving the ultimate results to God. What all of this points to in this passage and in this section of Ecclesiastes is a preference for taking action instead of overanalyzing things all the time. In a sense, this passage is a pushback against what is commonly called the paralysis of analysis. You see, part of the challenge of being human is that we can convince ourselves easily that there is a danger in taking action and doing the wrong thing, which is true. There's a danger in taking action and doing the wrong thing. But it's a bit more counterintuitive and maybe not as obvious to us to see that there's a danger in not taking action on the many right things that we know are good. This passage presses us to consider that and address the different challenges we face in our lives in taking action in the directions that we know are good. Not just the ones that are massively risky, but when we know what is good, but it comes with some risk and we want to try to analyze the risk out of every situation. That more often in life we know the good direction of many of the things that we need to do, but we are waiting for the perfect time or the right conditions or to finally get over this challenge before doing anything. So this passage presses us to consider that and to address those challenges and take action. I don't know what you need to take action on in your life, what things God may have before you in this year, but I want you to learn to live without a consistent fear of failure. And I think this passage is designed to show us why we should do that if we understand rightly who God is. So I, I think we see three particular things about that here that I want to talk to us about. The first thing it shows us is that we should be action-oriented because our resources are better off put to strategic use than saved for security. 
The first reason that this passage says that we should be action-oriented is that our resources, the things that God has entrusted to us, are better off put to strategic use rather than saved for security. In some sense, we all look for security when we have resources. But if we're not careful, we'll miss the wisdom in these first two verses. I want you to look at the text with me. Both of the Proverbs in verse 1 and verse 2 are addressing situations where you have an excess of resources and reminding us that because of our inability to predict the future, we should not pretend to always know what's best, but count on putting it to use and expect a reliable return and protection. Now, the first first proverb I've already mentioned, casting your bread on the waters, spreading, and, and the second one is this idea of spreading out our seed on the earth. They are both ways of giving consideration to both land and sea. That's the couplet that he's showing us. And remembering, there's not a determination, there's not an easy way to determine which place it's safer to invest your seed. Now, the cast your bread on the water, he's talking about potential bread. Most likely, this has to do with trade. It has to do with taking the grain that is left over and thinking, should I store it? Or should I take the risk of putting it on a boat and sending it somewhere and trading it and hoping that it's going to return to me as a good investment? That's the most likely explanation for what he's getting here. So bread is really representative of grain. He's using it in poetic fashion. Then he tells us about taking some of the excess seed and instead of storing it up, that we would partner with other people who have different fields. Now, in the context of ancient Israel, the way to experience increased prosperity would not have been to buy more land. If you're an agriculturalist, you actually, in their culture, land was a matter of family and inheritance. They had, they had stones that allowed the land to stay in families for generations. And even times when it was traded out of the family, there was times when that land could be redeemed and brought back in. And so it wasn't easy to get wealthy by just continuing to gobble up the farms around you. There were no corporate farms in ancient Israel. But if you had excess grain... You might ensure your future security by being a good partner to your neighbors and their planting of seed. Or by risking some of what you had by sending. And, and what he's saying here is that's more reliable than storing it up. We're used to living in this time where we have plug-in electricity freezers and refrigerators. But, but the storage of resources that could spoil in the ancient world was an incredible risk. And so he says, actually, taking action with what is excess was a better way of entering into safety and security than storing it. But he's not just saying it for that. He's using it as a general principle in our life. The resources that are entrusted to us are for their use, not primarily for their storage. So either way here in both of the Proverbs, our teacher is telling us, That these are actually more secure options than hoarding the grain for later. So what does that mean for us? Well, I I don't want us to get lost in the weeds uh, as we consider these first couple verses. But see instead that in both situations, taking action and putting the resources to use is the right answer, even if it involves some risk. There's no situation that doesn't involve risk. 
The deception we are often under is that it is always safer or better just to protect what we have. Clearly here, the spread out of portions provides some safety that storage does not. Cash and give are the verbs. Excess resources are better put to action in many circumstances. Jesus teaches the same thing in the parable of the talents in terms of God's expectations in his kingdom of what we would do with the things that he has given us to steward. If you noticed in our scripture reading today, it was the person just trying to protect what had been entrusted to him that was wrong. The other two understood that the king's purposes are expansive. That resources are entrusted for use. So that's the first thing that we see. Our resources are better offset to strategic use than saved for security. I think that's true for us individually, and I think it's true to, for us as a church. It's As Christians, the things that God entrusts us with are for the expansion of his kingdom and his work, his love and grace to be more displayed in the lives of other people around us, not to use to protect, to make sure that our church or our group is secure. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that uh, in this passage, that we should plan for action because our circumstances are not an excuse for inaction. Our circumstances are not an excuse for inaction. Verse 3 does something surprising. It states the obvious. When the clouds are full of rain, what happens? They empty themselves on the earth. Like, you see the clouds full of rain? It's going to rain. It goes on. Whether the tree falls south or north, it lays where it falls. It has to be dealt with. Both word pictures there are indicating the same thing. We don't get a boat on a lot of the circumstances that we face in life. You know, just because we see the rain clouds and say, I plan to have a picnic today. <laughs> I plan to build that patio today. And this time, I plan to plant the seeds today. Like, you can vote if you'd like, but it's going to rain today. Well, I'd have been real effective if that tree hadn't fallen across the road. I'd be able to get where I needed to go. Well, that's where it fell. What are you going to do? The subtext is, you can complain about the timing of the rain, but it isn't going to change anything. You can talk about how good things would have went if the tree had fallen the other direction, but right now, if you're going to get further down the road, you are going to need to get the chainsaw out and deal with it. Part of the entire goal of this series and the book of Ecclesiastes itself is to get us to deal with life Honestly, as it is, and not how we want it to be. A few verses capture it so, a few verses in all of Scripture capture it so simply as stating the obvious here, as what he's trying to say to us. You know, for application's sake, I, I, want, I want you to ask yourself something. Is there a circumstance in your life you are using as an excuse for quitting on a good direction you know you need to walk? Is there some circumstance in your life, maybe you didn't get a boat in, maybe it was outside of your control, that at this point 
you've found it to be a reliable excuse of not putting your hand to the things that you know are good. Listen, I understand there are difficult things that we face in life. But they're not the end. We have to ask ourselves important questions. What am I supposed to do now? I wish it would have been this way, or I wish I would have been that way. This happened to me. And I know, and some of those things are tragic, awful, difficult to stand after. But this passage reminds us that it's not the end of life. That there's a God who invites us to take what we've been entrusted with and still figure out how we're to steward it. You know, this, I've been thinking about this passage for months. I, I would encourage you to think about that question personally. Are, are there some things that you just rely on as an excuse? But I've also been considering it in, in regards to our church. This week will be, we will observe the one-year anniversary of losing Pastor Frank. I realize a large portion of those with us this morning may have not been a part of our church a year ago when that happened. And as things have continued to function around here, some, for some it may not be as obvious to you the hole that it has left in our lives personally and in the life of our church in so many ways that are obvious to us who were here during that time. Point that to this incredible willingness to take action. I mean, there are few people I've ever met who were as uniquely bold in taking action. He was fearless as a leader, like few other people that I've known. He saw the opportunity in taking, taking action more than he saw the risk of loss. You know, I, I used to, we used to talk about just the bigger fear you got. You might miss out on an amazing opportunity to see what God is, is doing. He was more afraid of that than looking foolish if it didn't work out. It's such a, a powerful, it was such a powerful thing. It was like a force that established a culture in our church of taking action and doing things that maybe it didn't seem like it made sense for us to be doing. And, and because of that, you know, Pillar was planted. The church was planted because of that kind of willingness. So much of our work was initiated and launched because while others would have paused and played it safe, Clint put himself out there and took the first step toward what God was calling him to do. In 20 years of working together, I just became accustomed to taking action and not fearing the risk, honestly. Even when things didn't work out, enjoying the ride and learning what we needed to learn, that it just became kind of common nature, even for me, the guy who got this gift you know, when he was a kid, like, take the shot. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways, it was, it was Clint's confidence and his spirit, his gifts, rubbing off on my life, rubbing off on me. And, and you know, for me, as, as I continue to lead our work together every day, I wish I could feed on that infectious courage and faith. A few days, I, you know, I, don't, I, I try not to talk about it endlessly. But there are a few days that go by and have gone by in the last year 
where I haven't wanted to feed on that infectious faith, courage, and boldness to act. It was a gift. And as any of us look back on the circumstances of Tim's plane crash, it's as if it's happened twice now. Only this. Only that. If only the weather had been more predictable or you could fill in the blank. If only the circumstances could have been different. But the reality of life and death and these big circumstances are beyond our knowing and beyond our understanding. Like the tree that falls or the rain from the sky, these circumstances are the the context that we as a church are being called to take action in rather than the excuse for inaction. You know, it would really be easy. And maybe in some ways it would have been easy for our leaders and for us and many of us that love Clint to just sort of go, you know, that's it. The things we cared about, the things we were working on, we just can't do anything. And there's always, when you go through something difficult, there's always the temptation to use, as, use it as an excuse for inaction. And listen, there, there's a time to regather, regroup, care for one another. In so many great ways, I've watched over the last year as people in our church have helped us through that. You know, I would be amiss if I didn't express my gratitude for the way so many of you have just been patient with me and with other leaders and all of us that were really close to Clint as we've learned to kind of put one step in front of the other. But even in, in these circumstances, I would never want that loss for myself or for any of us to be, to be an excuse for not taking action in the stewardship of what God has entrusted us with. Because as I stand here, I go, look at this church, look at the things that are connected to it, what we've been able to accomplish. And I, don't, I really don't like to talk often about how amazing some of the things that we've been able to do really are. But there's 12 other churches in, in military communities meeting today because of the life of this church. And that's just one portion of our church planting work. There are people all over the place that used to be a part of this church who were fueled in their faith, who came to faith in Christ, who were baptized here, that are worshiping in other churches, serving in other places because of the brief moment that they got to be a part of what was going on here. And it's been an incredible stewardship. But look what God has entrusted us with. And that feels like a powerful assignment that we can't just have an excuse for inaction in. So whether it's to honor Clint's life and friendship or as a step of faith with God to remind ourselves to trust he is sufficient to strengthen us, we have a stewardship that God has entrusted to us here at Pillar Church. We have a vibrant community of faith, a clear gospel, a track record of effective church planting, a reputation for caring for disadvantaged people in our community. So many things that were a huge part of Clint's heart. And the stewardship of those resources have been given to us for us to take action where we are today. And so, our circumstances are not an excuse for inaction. Third thing I, we see here is our analysis is less important than clear action. Our analysis is less important than clear action. In the text, verse 4 and 6 
really show us then, it, it kind of advanced this same idea. I've already mentioned the paralysis of analysis, but look at the wisdom in these verses. He who observes the wind won't sow, and he who regards the clouds won't reap. Now, just to be clear, this isn't, this isn't saying be foolish and don't put any strategic thought into what you're doing. Don't plant the seed. Don't put the seed in the field in winter when you know it's not going to grow. That's not what it's saying. Like just be foolish and get it out there. But what it is saying is that we have a tendency to wait and wait and wait until we have a total guarantee of success before we do things, before we put ourselves out there, before we say we're willing to commit to the particular course of action, before doing something, and we wait and wait. One of my favorite things that Clinton used to say is, I only need to be 80% sure to make a 100% commitment in a direction. And that's why he always spoke so confidently. But it's, it's really an amazing idea because there are a few things in life that we're more than, if you could quantify it, more than 80% sure about. But there are times when we have to make a decision that we're committed to the direction. We can call off the direction later if it becomes clear through the circumstances that God has other things. But here the invitation is to action. We have to embrace the, what we don't know and be okay taking action. You know, the, the person who is constantly saying, well, there might be a better day because I see some clouds, never goes about putting the seed in the ground, he says. Oh, it's a little too windy. We might lose some of the seed. No, no, no. That kind of overthinking and overanalysis leads to never doing anything, not doing the things that matter. When we started the Praetorian Project, our family of multiplying churches in military communities worldwide, which is now 13 churches, around the U.S. and in Japan, we were basically at that time one pillar church with 50 to 60 people. This is 2011. A Navy chef named Bob, who was a member at the time about the PCS, gave a donation to our church planting work for something like $5,000, which was like a million to us at the time. I mean, it was like so much money at the time to us, like, wow. This is going to do it. This is going to really lead to some amazing things. Well, Clint came up with this idea to spend the money by making a video to get the word out about the Praetorian Project. And he tell, told me about it, and I was like, that, you want to spend the money doing that to make a video? We had to, you know, both of us had lived sometime in Iceland. We had this friend who was a filmmaker in Iceland. He's like, if we got that guy to come make a film about what we're trying to do, that could be amazing. And I can remember saying to him, is that the best use of like several thousand dollars? Seems kind of risky. I'll never forget what he said. He said, I don't know. But I do know if we don't do something to get the word out, we'll be trying to do this alone. And we can't do it by ourselves. And uh, we made the video and I was lone. It turns out lots of other people thought we could probably do the sort of thing that God was putting in our hearts. 
and uh, the video was amazing. It's still, it, you can see it on the Praetorian Project's website under videos. The first video we released, it's like eight minutes long. It's just a classic. I mean, it's amazing, inspiring in every way, and uh, it's a great little piece of history. That was great. See, within reason, and even while risks still remain, taking action is the way things happen or move forward. Sowing the seed is what actually leads to a harvest. You have to get it in the ground. Was it the best time? Who knows? Verse 6, should I do it in the morning? Yes. What if I can only plant it this evening? Is that all right? Yes. But I don't know which one will be a better time. That's right. So just do it. That's what he's saying. Because the only way to guarantee you won't have a harvest is to put no seed in the ground. <laughs> don't overthink it. So, so, so listen, uh, with this word, I want you to think well about how to apply this to your own personal lives. Things that God may be putting in your hearts, challenges you may be facing, things that you know are good for you to do and put your hand to. Be careful that you don't to go through and look for unnecessary excuses that are blocking you from good action you may know you need to take. I want you to think about the resources God has entrusted you with. How he wants you to use them rather than just store them. I want you to avoid letting the perfect opportunity stop you from taking action in what is good. But also here at the beginning of this year, and we're at the beginning, if you didn't realize it, of our week of prayer where we're just we're asking you as a part of this church to spend extra time in prayer this week. We're providing some opportunities to gather in prayer in the morning on Zoom at 645. Also in your life groups to pray together. And you know, as, as we're doing that, I wanted to take the time to challenge our church here at the beginning of this year in a similar way to say, you know, sometimes it's good for us just to take the vulnerability of saying this is what we want to see happen. These are things that matter to us, some of which we don't even know how to exactly make happen, but we think they're good, and we want to take action and set the direction, and we want to go there and see what God does. And so, I want to challenge us to take action in a couple of ways, uh, and just say that these are things that I would like to be true at the end of the year. These are, these are out of just discussions we've been having with our elders and thinking about where we're at as a church, what God has entrusted to us. And the first one is, I want to see us lead 25 people to Christ this year and see them baptized at Pillar. That that would just be the bottom line. Like we would, we would labor together to see 25 new professions of faith at Pillar and those people baptized where we can celebrate what God is doing. When it comes to planting seeds and trusting God to give the increase, we want this year to be a year where as a church, we continue to keep the core things that we've been commissioned by God to do at the center of our vision. Do I want more than that? Yes. But do I, do I want that to be a starting place that we can work to? Yes. We're going to work together to grow in evangelism in whatever ways we need to, to continue to hold out the hope of the gospel to people here in Dumfries and our surrounding community. One of the things we're going to do kick, to kick off the year is we're going to have an evangelism think tank on Sunday, January 21st in the afternoon. If you're passionate about evangelism or just know that we need to increase our engagement and development in this area we will be gathering to brainstorm and dream about how we can have a greater evangelistic impact 
as a church. And I hope you've considered joining us for that and being a part and bringing your voice to that. We're not going into that conversation with a plan. We're coming out of that with a plan. We're going to dream together, think about what we would actually do and put ourselves to. And we hope you'll be a part of doing that. We want to see this growth in evangelism. Second, we want to raise $100,000 toward our future facility. Now, we're going to talk about this some more at our upcoming members meeting on Tuesday. But the most daunting task that lies ahead for our church is getting settled in a stable facility for the future. And I, I love it here at the school. This is a great place. But it's been God's blessing for our church over the last year and a half. But, but if we're honest, like, you, you just never know how long you can stay in a temporary facility. Like, there are a lot, there's a lot of extra effort and work that goes. Could you imagine if we took all the effort we, we take in just being able to meet and gather and we aimed that at, like, the core of ministry? <laughs> like, we were able to take that and refocus all of that energy and effort and organization that goes into being able to meet on, like, just, like, real seed-scattering disciple-making, growing kind of stuff. I mean, that would be an incredible thing for our church to be able to experience. Now listen, churches don't have to have buildings. You know, they don't need big buildings. But as a church gets to a certain size, like our church is, it's hard to imagine what happens if all of a sudden, for some reason, we're not able to meet here at this building. It's very hard to imagine what would happen to a church. I I know of a church uh, planter friend of mine whose church had to move like five or six times last year, and it really was... It like decimated the church. I want our work to continue on a a level of stability together. Now, most of you know we've had a facility plan that we've been working on for the last several years. We recently got a bid for it that was considerably higher than I had hoped. And going back to the tree falls and lays wherever it is, three years ago when we really wanted to pull the trigger on it, everything would have been about half of the price that it is right now. And when I, got the, when I got the bid back for the, when it's the first one for the building, when those things are going to try to do to get other bids and, and get it down, I, I was like the person in, I needed this passage. The tree's laying there. <laughs> you can complain about it. What are you going to do about it? And $100,000 isn't going to build a building. Let me just tell you that. But as our elders were meeting together at our last meeting, they were like, it doesn't look like we're serious about this because we're not doing it. We haven't asked the church to join in praying for it. I mean, we pray for it at members meeting. I don't want to say that we haven't. But like, we gotta, we've got to get ready. We've got to get ready financially for this sort of thing. I'm talking about $100,000 over our general budget giving, which also needs to, needs to grow. We don't talk about money a lot around here. Like, it's just not something that we don't want to be that church. There's enough bad reputation. Church always talk about money. But listen, let, let's go beyond that. As a church, we believe in this mission. You know, and, and I did some math not that long ago where um, roughly the average giving of households in our congregation is somewhere around $250, $300 a month. And uh, listen, I'm thankful for any resources that people that are a part of this church would entrust to this mission. And I know we're a church that's transient. Some of you come in, you go out, and that all different, it's really hard to invest. But, but could you imagine if that grew by 30% this year? Where we all of a sudden had 
increased resources to get ready for a facility. Some of the things that I stay up worrying about night of being to make that transition would probably not even be there. And that doesn't even sound like that much to me. And, and I just want to challenge us. We, we live in one of the most affluent counties in the United States of America. And I don't particularly, we teach this in our membership, I don't particularly believe you're obligated to give 10% to the work of the Lord through your local church. But if 10% was a measurement in the Old Testament of a way that God provided for the spiritual nurture and care for his people then, there's got to be something that would tell me I should give some thought to what I really am to investing in. If the church is is a core, important impact on your life, the place where we celebrate the core things of our faith week in, week out, we've got to set aside resources to be able to do that. If it's the place where we strategically get together to advance the mission of the gospel, we're going to have to figure out a way to resource what is needed. We want to be faithful stewards. You can see every dollar that is spent at this church. I will sit down personally and explain it to you why we spend it the way we do i'd be happy to do that with any person here but what i'm asking you to consider doing is figuring out what is it that god maybe would be calling me to do as a step of faith to provide for the resourcing of this mission that is having an impact on us and to just trust the lord about what he would do with that so we've set a goal for this year just to say we're serious about this and readying ourselves for this. And we're inviting you to pray and consider what it looks like to be a part of acting. The, the third thing is supporting the growth of the church as a body in three particular ways in addition to that. And I just want to mention those to you. The first one is in effective care for one another. Specifically, as we continue to care for one another through the the relationships in our body, I want to encourage us to consider how we can actually continue to be more effective at that and to support the things that are needed to be able to make that a reality. You know, one of the challenges of being a church where people people come in and out, like maybe, you know, 30% of our church here today is new since August is that it's hard to build those relationships that help people thrive, that help the church grow, that meet needs when people are suffering. And so we've got to continue to work at it. We've got to continue to get better at at making sure we're caring for one another well in the body. My recent opportunity that I've had with Send Network's church planning has opened up the bandwidth for us to bring on another pastoral staff member who can lead us in the focus area of shepherding and care. Our elders have been praying for us to identify the right person this year for that position. And we're asking you to join us in praying for that as well. That God would help us to identify the right person that can lead us to be effective as a congregation in that area and give extra strategic support and leadership for inside the body care for one another. Second, that we would support the growth of our church in future church planting. We want to keep to the task of preparing leaders to send out and lead new church plants. We we introduced James Ramsire and Brandon Evans a couple months ago. During this year, we want to move toward concrete plants for what God is calling us to do and partnering with them. You can pray for those brothers as they are preparing for their future and what God is calling them to do in church planting and revitalization. This year, what we're praying is that we'd be able to have a concrete plan ready for what they're going to do in 
being sent out as church planters. Additionally, we have space for one more church planter to join our residency and plant in this region. At the end of the month, a potential church planter will be visiting to explore the possibility of joining us this year in preparation for a future church plant in 2025. And I'm, I'm asking that you would pray for God to lead them and us as we seek to continue to make an impact for future church planting in Northern Virginia. So you can pray for that and help continue to encourage that direction to support the, the thing that has been core to our church, to not just care about the mission here, but putting churches in other places that need an effective gospel witness. And then to support the growth of our church numerically as we think about the numerical growth of our membership. Listen, I really do not care much about attendance numbers at Pillar week to week. Those, those kind of things don't really matter to me. But our membership represents people who have joined together in our mission. We currently have about 120 active adult members that make up the ministry base that supports this work. We have more people that attend the church than that, significantly more. But it's that core group of people that really invest their heart and their life and their soul into making the ministries effective, into leading the outreach, into really being the building blocks of, of what we get to experience as a congregation together in the work. This year, I'd like to see us connect with people and, and, and grow our membership to 160 people partnered to see the mission work effectively here. That's a, that's a 33% growth in committed core missionaries that are a part of this church who have joined in membership. That's going to require all of us to be connected with people. Welcoming them to our lives and homes and our life groups, starting new life groups, preparing effective leaders for ministry to be effective, making the case for commitment to our mission together. Today we'll have a next steps course, which is an opportunity for any of you who have been exploring what does it really mean to be a part of this mission, where you could join us from one to four this afternoon and, and hear more in detail what it looks like to be a part of the, the mission base that really advances the gospel through Pillar Church. We would love for you to join us just by being there. You're not making a commitment, but it's a way to discover what we're up to and be a part of this gospel family. And we'd love for you to join us e either today or at a future one. But as a church, that means us growing, advancing, being ready to serve other people that can be brought in to participate in the life of this mission together. Lord willing, that will lead to an increased strength for impact in the future. Now, I love verse 5 in our passage today. Because it reminds us of an important truth. We're invited to take action. But the result and our real hope belong to the Lord. Listen, I could lay these things out. I think they're important. I think it's important that we know what we're doing and and some of the priorities and how we can have some sense of corporate direction, those things are important. But the, but the fulfillment of any good thing belongs to the Lord. And I, we don't, we're not pretending to tell God what he has to do through the life of our church. We can't anticipate this year any more than we can anticipate last year. The Lord is the one who holds our future. In a real sense, God only knows how to accomplish the most important things that are in line with his glory. We don't know how life and consciousness are brought together in the birth of a child. We don't know. Like, how does God do that? The answer is we have no idea how, how, how 
God brings together the fullness of human life. I mean, we know how babies are born, but we don't know how God makes them alive. With intelligence and thought, we have no idea. It's an amazing thing. That's in God's hands, he says. We don't know the future, so we can't predict how everything will go, and we're not expected to. The most fundamental and important work belongs to God. A God that this book itself reminds us has a beautiful plan to reconcile all things to himself. And he invites us into that salvation and redemption personally. And if you're longing to have a sure foundation on which you can build your life, it isn't going to happen through your analysis. It's through what God has provided for us in Christ. The God keeping his promises for our future to us. For us knowing that he has secured, he promised us to bring us into his rest and his flourishing. Our hope for the future, our eternal life rests on God's work and not our own. Our future is secure not through our own actions. We are weak and often sinful, but God in his plan sent us a redeemer in Christ. He invites us by faith to turn from our sins and and turn from trusting in our works to receive the promise of the gospel in Christ provided through his death on the cross and his resurrection, which gives us hope for what God is doing in the future to bring us into his fullness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 remind us that our lives rest on God's actions most of all. For by grace, that's a gift, a free gift, you have been saved through faith, through trusting that God is the one who does it. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God. That's the foundation of our hope. Not a result of works, not a result of you analyzing, figuring out how to get your life together, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've never understood what it means to be a Christian, these verses tell us how to stop trusting in ourselves and to believe the truth about God that he sent his son to offer you not just so your sins could be forgiven, He will do that too. But that you may walk in the hope of an eternal life in the future that God is bringing about. That's your future too. If you've never trusted in Christ, let today be the day. While we're praying, while we're remembering the Lord's Supper, let today be the day where you say, Lord, I want that hope. I'm trusting in that now. And God will save you and bring you into the foundation of his purpose and make you Lord, we thank you for your love for us and for this opportunity to worship and celebrate as we remember your broken body and shed blood. Lord, we pray that we would learn to trust more deeply in your work. It would give us boldness and confidence. We'd be reminded that we need not fear the future. We need not fear our own weakness and failure because, Lord, our days are in your hands.
moment, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, taking the bread and the cup that reminds us of the finished work on the cross for our salvation. If you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, we invite you to bear witness to that testimony with us as we take the bread and cup and remember together. If you've never put your faith in Christ Jesus, I encourage you to do 